over a decade of experience in video games, and all he has to show for it is this stupid podcast. It's Behind the Line Radio, with your host, Kinetic, and it starts now. Hello everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, a podcast about the making of video games, the business of video games, and the people of the video games industry. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick. With me, as usual, is Baron Fang. Jeff, how are you doing this morning? Excellent, how are you? And joining us today, David. Not the same Dave I had on before, a different David. Hello, how are you doing today, David? I'm well, thank you. So, what we have to talk about today is a topic that I think a number of people in the game playing community might have some oblique understanding of and some opinions on, but often may not be very clear. Uh, I actually showed both of you guys a video from uh, Ill Will Press, uh, Foamy the Squirrel, for those who are familiar with it, and it was primarily a rant about why video game servers crash soon after the launch of the game or, or everything gets congested and, and, and uh, blocked off or, you know, servers crash or all those kinds of network problems that can happen. So there's probably a number of things we can talk about with this, but I thought that was a pretty good place to start off because, Dave, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, sort of the, the nature of what you work on these days? Uh, and okay. that kind of give us a starting point for today. So I'm on the ops side uh, of the house. Um, they call it DevOps these days. And that's concerned with the, the stability, the uptime, um, the provisioning of, you know, the back end for the game. So it really does kind of get to the heart of the matter. When you, when you see it going, you know, the game's going down, you know, server unavailable, um, connection reset, all that stuff, that's, that's when the alerts, the pager duty is going off for me and, and, uh, and my group. All right. So, and, and pager duty is, is those, uh, you know, alert notifications that come in, you know, like emails come into your phone or, or whatnot. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's, the, that's kind of the industry standard at this point. There's also uh, Victor ops. Um, they're kind of a, a second mover in this space, but pager duty got in there early and uh, did a pretty good job. And, and you'll see that a lot. So, you know, everybody, not just ops, but you know, uh, other devs will, will use it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a kind of a nice generalized way of when you have um, some sort of alert trigger, it hits page duty and then page duty can manage the fan out to a schedule and you can give it your, your email for certain kind of alerts, your, you know, SMS on your phone for, you know, more high priority alerts. Okay. Essentially the modern day equivalent of the pager, the clamshell <laughs> pager. That's what I was picturing in my head for a minute there. <laughs> you looking down at your belt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and some people still, you know, have those for whatever reason in, in certain industries. Um, for a reason there's, there's, they sort of got, set as a requirement and, and page duty will, you know, will kick off an actual clamshell pager alert if that's what you want. <laughs> cool. Um, so one of the, one, I mean, one of the big questions that, that comes out of this is, is going to be why do servers go down? Why, why are there trouble? I mean, in, in the, the, Foamy the Squirrel video, the question is, well, don't don't these people load test their servers? Why, why isn't that happening? And, I mean, from my experience with stuff, the, the way it basically boils down to is you can do load tests, but live traffic is going to behave 
differently than your simulations. Mm. And that, that also depends on how good your simulations are in the first place. Yeah. It, you know, nothing replaces internet traffic. Um, you know, simulations are one thing. Um, but I will say it, it really, you know, in the modern day and age, it, it actually comes down to design. Um, you know, you, you can have, uh, an old school design and you can, you can, you can push it hard enough and tweak it, tune it hard enough that you can hit some, you know, load level that will just be adequate. You know, if you manage to get a hundred thousand DAU or whatever, you might be able to get it there, but it, it might be, you might not ever be able to hit 200,000. But if, if, if a hundred thousand is enough, then great, you win. But in the modern day and age, there's a, there's a better kind of approach for this. And that's, that's basically to just consider everything web scale and just design for that. And if you leverage the cloud, you can get there. And, and I, I can just point to in this last month, um, my company actually launched two games. Um, one went beautifully and one was a disaster, um, operationally. Um, in the, um, and I would say the one that went beautifully, um, it was designed for web scale. It completely leveraged AWS. It used, uh, Dynamo DB as its, uh, data store backend, which is theoretically infinitely scalable. Um, the other game basically had an architecture problem and we saw, we actually did load testing and we saw the problem. We saw the cliff edge. Um, but the problem is, um, you know, in the gaming industry, it's, it's, you have publishers and you have studios. Um, and being on the publisher side, uh, the studios have to actually be the ones that deliver the game. And so we kind of get into, you know, what, what people know how to do. And we, pointed out as the publisher that that they were they had a uh, they were basing this on uh, on my sequel on the back end um and they weren't part they weren't they weren't sharding it they weren't even caching it and we we knew that was potentially a problem i mean if you look back in the history of games um and and other you know products on the on the internet so many times that's that's the that's the thing that that gets people is uh you might feel like, oh, I've got the front end uh, scalable. It's I've got stateless web servers, stateless game engines. They come, they go. We can add more. We can take them away. But what will usually get you? And it was always been hard over the years uh, until recently, in the last you know five years or so, uh, with the advent of NoSQL um, databases, these you know, large scale Dynamo, Cassandra type databases. Um, with those, you actually can solve that final piece, which is scaling your, your data backend. Um, because data is, uh, not stateless. <laughs> it is by definition the opposite of stateless. So you can get everything in your, in your system stateless and, uh, you can make it, um, fault tolerant, resilient. Um, but you can't do that with your, with your data. Um, data, data has to persist. So in, in the case of these two games that went out in the same month, one was, you know, smooth as glass, and the other was really, really bumpy, foamy the squirrel kind of bumpy. <laughs> uh, and and that—that's how it happens. I mean, we saw it coming, and and I'll say in my particular case, um, I, you know, I actually uh, raised the alert, you know, two months before, because I'm sitting in the meeting, and here's the thing with with games, with, with, with the gaming industry, um, you can kind of distill it down to there's 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 three legs to the stool. At this level, there's the product people, uh, there's the devs who are writing it, and there's the ops. 
And coming out of the gate, you know, I was seeing a problem. I'm sitting, you know, in, in some of the meetings I have with the product people. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see the sausage being made on that side. I mean, you know, these guys have, in their own way, you know, a hard job. They're, they're lining up, you know, the marketing budgets. They're talking to Apple and Google about featuring things. They're talking to magazines. They're planning, you know, sometimes ad layouts, definitely, you know, um, ad network buys. Um, they're talking to these, you know, these, um, uh, like Twitch guys and the, and the, and the, and the, the bloggers, the influencers. A lot of things are getting lined up and they have to kind of set dates and, and kind of coordinate those things early on. And, and they might be, you know, they might be starting now and, and looking at something from nine months from now. It seems like enough time or, you know, 12 months, 18 months from now. Who knows? Sometime out in the future. Um, so it all kind of comes down to a point. It's like a, a Normandy invasion from a, from a product standpoint. And in the, in the, Parallels to that, you know, the, the devs are doing their thing, and, and later on, usually the ops guys don't get involved until closer to the end uh, when things really start to heat up for them. But I'm sitting in some of these meetings with the product guys, and they're talking about this stuff, and they're talking about, you know, they, they put, you know, millions of dollars into, in the, in the home stretch when, when, the, when the game launches, um, you know, to um, bring people to the game uh, with the ad network buys and, and various uh, tools they have for marketing. But it's a lot of money. I mean, that's that's the publisher's uh, function is to bring uh, the table stakes, and the, and the small studios don't have that. That's why they have to partner with. One of the reasons they have to partner with publishers. And I gave the warning on one of these games. I said, hey, you know, be very careful pulling the trigger. Like I'm talking, like you know, maybe on launch weekend, maybe you drop, you know, two million dollars in in ad buys. And let's just say, I mean, think of it as from the, from the business standpoint. You saw foamy from the user standpoint, but. Um, from the business standpoint, you drop that $2 million and your game immediately, you know, hits the deck, goes down for the count. And not only did you just waste that $2 million, I mean, it's worse than that. The, the people come in, they give you one-star reviews, they don't come back, they delete the game right away. From a business standpoint, that's awful. And so, you know, I said, hey, uh, we're seeing some, some architectural problems. We're seeing some scaling issues. It's not clear that we're going to be able to... Um, you know, do something, have, have a, a, a really big hit game. And this game was big. Um, and, uh, man, that did not go over well. Usually, <laughs> you don't usually bring your tech guys to these kind of product meetings. You know, these things are, you know, product people are kind of like, uh, you know, here in my, my career late, you know, I've been doing this 20 plus years and everyone's like, I get this little flashback to high school. These were like the popular kids, you know, the product people. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the jocks and the preps and, you know, the popular people. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, in those meetings, it's all very positive. It's lots of strokes and, you know, how bright is the future? And here's the ops, you know, guy sitting in the corner going, eh, everything sucks. We're all going to die. Um, and they don't like it, you know. The emo um, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so I was that guy. And, uh, and, and you know, the, uh, the GM of the company, uh, the head guy, you know, he says, uh, uh, okay, Dave, thanks for your input. Let's take this offline. And it was like, okay, that was like, shut up. You can talk to me about this in private. You can't talk to, you can't say this in front of, you know, 20 people. Um, and um, so, yeah, it wasn't really appreciated. They're like, well, you know, you've got, uh, you know, almost two months before before launch. You know, if you guys need to work on the weekends, we understand. Um, if you need some more people, um, you know, talk to, talk to recruiting. We can get some temps in here. And I'm like... That's not actually the problem. It's not, it's not that we need to just throw more machines at it. We need to put a, a, you know, a couple weekends in the data center and rack and stack. It's all in the cloud and we can spin up, you know, a thousand machines in a couple hours if we need to. 
uh, it's all just API calls now. Um, it's not, you know, uh, 30 people working, you know, loading dock to the racks, you know, <laughs> racking and stacking all weekend for three weekends straight. Um, it's not like that anymore. That's not the problem. It's an architectural problem. They go, well, they can fix that. Then they have a few more weeks to go. Like, no, you don't redesign, you know, a, a, you know, the back end of a, of a game in the, in the last few weeks. Um, and so they said, well, what are you telling us? And I said, well, you know, at this point we're doing load testing. We're figuring out where the cliff edge is and, and we can tell you it's not, you know, it's not that, you know, it's like a medium sized game. It'll, it's fine. It's a medium sized game. It plays really well up to a point. And then it's, it's, you know, it's just going to fall apart. So, you know, my advice to them was tread very carefully, um, on, on the really big ad buys. Mm. And, uh, I have to say, I, 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 it looks like I'm like some, like I have ESP or something because it, it went down exactly like that. And it's kind of a scary prediction to make because it's always possible, you know, that, that things will kind of hang in there. But after you've been doing ops for 20 years, you know, you do kind of have a, you kind of expect the worst in everything. You, you just you know, <laughs> technology is uh, it, it's very finicky, you know. And, and when, when when you're trying a couple of hard things, you do three hard things in a row. You're like, okay, that was weird. They all worked. Hmm. <laughs> you're waiting for an earthquake or something to hit right then, or you know the next thing you try is yeah, not going to happen because that's par for the course. You know, it's like you're you know fifty percent of the time having you know. Tricky things that you're doing, just work, at, you know, first try is it would be doing great. It, it takes a lot of iterating hmm. with, with tech. And so, you know, I, I knew that, you know, even um, even if we, if we could with some of the things, the last minute tweaks they were doing that, you know, they were just adding uncertainty, hmm. you know, because um, I will say, you know, that here's the thing, too, that, that kind of goes to the heart of all of this, you know, why this happens. You know, you got the product guys, you know, and they have to forecast out. And that's a hard thing to do. They don't have crystal balls. Um but uh, it comes down to, um, you know, time for everybody. The devs need time and the ops guys need time. And the basic thing here, the basic tension that you'll have, and, and this kind of gets to the um, what Fomi was talking about, but with the um, devs are about features and companies need features to make money, to make the, the, the offering compelling. You know, if you can't just not have features. That's the whole reason for doing this. Stuff. That's what people are excited about. And from the ops standpoint, if you look at things, um, they want stability. And the thing that um, basically breaks stability is change. So you've got this constant tension between devs who want to change as rapidly as possible and ops who want to change as little as possible. Mm. Mm. Uh, and this, <laughs> this is sort of this butting of heads, this, this you know, age-old dev versus ops. So they came up with this idea of DevOps, which is this big coming together and realizing you know, that you can't really do it that way. Um, it's It's got to be kind of more of a holistic approach because it doesn't matter how cool your features are. Um, if the game goes down, <laughs> nobody's playing them. <laughs> it's kind of moot at that point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we could say there's nothing more important than features. We can't make money without features. The users demand features, you know, full speed ahead on the features. And the ops guy says, well, you know, <laughs> if the game's down... It's like having no features. So we have to have a balance here. And some people were pretty smart. You know, they thought about these things. It's like the people went back and looked at the Challenger explosion. It's like, how did we get here? And it gets kind of philosophical. Um, but that's where the DevOps thing comes along. It's a, it's like at its heart, you know, DevOps is, it's, I would say you could, you could, um, describe it as it's all of our problems. It's not a dev versus ops thing. 
Uh, it's the whole experience. It's not just that, oh, I'm, I'm a dev and I wrote the thing and I passed my unit test. I'm golden. Checking it in. Please push this Friday. I'm going to be in Tahoe next weekend. Um, and then they're gone. They're out. And then pops a problem. Um, not really. It's, you know, it's, it's not just that you got the feature or that you got, you know, the, the, the requirement. You, you, you finished your, your sprint, whatever. And, and, uh, you know, you got your check mark. Um, it only matters if this stuff runs end to end. Cause in the end, when, when you're making games, you're not just like writing a unit of code. It's, it's the whole top to bottom experience. It's the user experience. And that's why they started calling it DevOps because you can't really have one without the other. And that's, that's a real change. And, and people are still processing this change. This idea of does your company do DevOps? That means have they integrated this? It's more of a philosophy than anything else. Um, where, and, and people are still kind of feeling their way around. What does that mean? Um, does that mean that, you know, your devs do ops? Some people have interpreted it that way. Um, a lot of times it means that, you know, you'll try to have an ops guy per dev team. And so there's sort of like this dispersed ops group. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm more the, I come from more of the classical kind of view in the way that we're, uh, you know, in my place are arranged, you know, the, the ops is its, is its own entity. It's its own separate, you know, team. And that, that kind of goes back to the old model of ops as system administrators, not as devs. Um, and that's, that's where I came from. I came from the system administration world, you know, 20 plus years ago. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but it's kind of like I say is, is DevOps is sort of, uh, system administration evolved. You know, we're going from a lot of physical stuff and installing, you know, operating systems and patching things, you know, manually and actually physically installing hardware kind of things. Um, we are, you know, it's a lot more and more, it's, it's API stuff, uh, more and more it's design stuff and, and leveraging, you know, this whole shift to cloud. Uh, but, you know, just from the, from the big picture, when you, when you, know, when you look at, you know, what's happening with, with the game, why is it, why is it tipping over? Um, it's, uh, at this point, the only reason for it is to not, uh, is not, is design. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, Load testing shouldn't be that in the modern day and age. Load testing shouldn't be that important. If you basically, it's still useful, but it should not be the the, the main thing that you're doing. The main thing you should be doing is design. You should have um, everything should be scalable. Um, and if you make the right choices, um, you know your your front end, your your game engine is behind a load balancer and it's horizontally scalable and it's stateless. And if you make the right choice on the back end. You pick a web scale uh, data storage, a NoSQL solution, um, and everything managed services. Um, and then you're, 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 you're on a different basis. And it actually does work. I'll tell you my biggest surprise, um, about this was, uh, Pokemon Go. So that came from Ingress. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was internal to Google. I mean, that yeah, we Ingress- talked about Pokemon Go on this show before. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Times. Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, I live in, in San Francisco and, um, I know some of the people out of that Google office, not on the, not, not on the Ingress team, not on Niantic, but, uh, when they, when they blew up the alphabet at Google, they, they split off Niantic and it's actually a standalone company now. But I mean, they actually sat in the same, you know, office down on the Barcadero in San Francisco as the rest of Google and they had all of Google at their disposal and they, you know, they, they know, uh, cloud there. Uh, so I was really, shocked uh at the problems that that pokemon go had um Mm. and i've never really heard a good accounting um 
of why that was. Uh, but that is <laughs> that is one uh, contradiction to what I'm saying is, you know, people who understand cloud and are all cloud, um, they should be able to um, to scale this. And it was just Ingress and they had built it and designed it uh, correctly. Mm. Uh, and then and then Pokemon Go was uh, was basically, you know, Ingress reskinned more or less. I mean, they were using a lot of it. Um, yeah, but, I was going to I was going to ask, um, like, how, how well understood uh, would you say is this kind of uh, correct design and implementation of stuff? I mean, when, when it comes to programming, there's, you know, well understood, like this function has this kind of time profile, big O notation, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I would say that in the ops world, um, it's very, it's it, over the last five years, it's, it's been a very rapid change. I mean, all the blogs, all the conferences, everything is about this DevOps thing. Even if you wanted to ignore it you, and you still want to be a system administrator, you at least have to apply to jobs now that say DevOps, which is, is a funny kind of name. I, I, I don't really like saying DevOps engineer. Um, <laughs> you're, you're really a site reliability engineer. You practice DevOps. You are not DevOps. I mean, to say that you're a DevOps, you know, whatever manager, or DevOps engineer means that wouldn't imply that you're, that you're going around teaching, uh, DevOps principles, like that you're an advocate for DevOps. Um, it's uh, it's a subtle distinction. It's been lost, and it's too late. It's gone. <laughs> it's like only, it's like the, getting in arguments about what hacker means. I mean, it's like okay, <laughs> I give up. Uh, so, but the ideas are out there, and people know it. I'll tell you in, in the in the case where I'm talking about the the, the two games uh, last month um, that I was involved in. Um, the problem was the devs, the studio. Um, they were what I uh, call uh, console programmers. Like they were old game programmers. They done stuff literally on console, in the you know in in, the, in a, a single sort of um, framework. Um, that that's their background. Smart guys, a lot of experience with doing that stuff, programming down. But what they hadn't done was distributed systems. You know, this was like their first web game, um, their first internet game, and. Um, they just, you know, it, it's funny. Sometimes really smart people, it's like uh, if you wanted to min-max them or something, D&D them, it's like 18 intelligence and, and three wisdom. Really <laughs> smart people can just be really dumb about things, and they're really hard to, to convince because they're so used to being able to rely on, you know, what they know, and, they're, and they have confidence in their problem-solving and their ability to attack things. So that's all that's what they've done their entire careers. I mean, they've got a lot of experience doing this just you know, beating technical problems in a submission, finding a way. Would you say, um, but, would you say in their case, it was a, a, a one contributing factor would be, you know, you say they worked on a console. So would they, would you say they were more experienced with treating software as a packaged product rather than the software as a service type model? Exactly. They, they were looking at this as their, you know, they've got one target deliverable, everything, you know, uh, local. And they, and they proceeded to approach the game that way. Um, and um, so, for instance, in the in the cloud, um, things fail all the time. It's not an unusual thing. Um, things are flaky. You know, you get network partitions, you get nodes that just pop like soap bubbles. Um, and people, you know, when, when they were first coming from, you know, a colo, they're like, well, that's ridiculous. That's, you know, this Amazon stuff is crap. Um, and how much are you paying for this? You know, <laughs> but <laughs> the thing is, it's like um, Netflix has been kind of the thought leader in this. They they committed big time to Amazon early on, and they embraced this. Um, 
so what you do is you design for this. It's like, sure, you, you've got, you know, a, a large cluster of front end hosts that are talking directly to the phone, let's say, uh, through, you know, with a load balancer between them. Um, but you make it stateless and you, you put in the automation so that if one of the nodes, you know, goes away for whatever reason, it just replaces itself. It just spins back up. Zero human intervention. A new one just joins. Um, so essentially putting in some fail safer if one of these components fails. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's not even a, like a component. It's just like, that's like the, 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 that's where you start from. It's like you don't want a human in the loop. You want these things to be just self healing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. called auto scaling. And, um, if, if you, you can make it elastic so that if, you know, you're getting, you know, let's say a lot of CPU load, the auto scaling will, will on its own, Trigger a rule that says add 10, 10% more instances. If the CPU drops, it's starting, you know, it's in the middle of the night, it'll actually shed instances mm. on its own. So you get good, you know, cost control, but that has some really nice um, characteristics for just deploying software when things work like that. Whereas in the old days, you know, you'd have like an actual Dell box somewhere in a, in a data center, maybe a big monster 6U uh, host, and, and you would be you know, you'd have someone logging into each one of them and they were precious babies and you named them and you took care of them and you had them for <laughs> years. You carried them on your capital expense spreadsheets. And, <laughs> um, and now they're, they're not like that. They're just, they're just nodes. They, you don't even bother to name them anymore. They're, they're just like little Christmas tree lights. And, uh, uh where was I going with that? Um, <laughs> what were you asking well, me? Well, I, uh, one thing I, I there's actually like, I feel like I've lobbed you a softball and you've warped through time and hit like several home runs with this. So, I mean, holy cow. Um, but uh, coming through all of this, there's a few things I thought it would be good for us to sort of uh, define for people who do- may not be aware of some of the terms that have been laid out. Like you, you've said stateless several times here. So mm-hmm. um, how, how does that term really apply to this sort of server architecture? So what you're trying to do with uh, your servers is have them to be interchangeable. So imagine that you have, uh, in the classic sense, just a web server. It's serving static content, um, and you have two of them. And, and whether you know your next click uh, on a web page goes to server A or server B uh, doesn't matter. Either one, they're interchangeable. There's mm-hmm. nothing about uh, server B that's special um, so that if it went away, you would notice when you came back. Um, Stateful would be, um, you know, your, uh, you know, reading something that's follow your own adventure, make your own adventure or something, and you've got, you know, some sort of context on there. It's got your, uh, it, it's written locally. Let's say it's it's got some way of of marking your progress, and you know, if you now switched over to A suddenly, your next click ended up getting placed on A. You've just lost your your progress. Yeah, if so, you imagine. Or, or like, or like the server itself has some setting that you can edit, which means whichever one you connect to would be different somehow. So you couldn't automatically just add more, remove them, and it doesn't matter. Right. They're, some, they're something. All it's it's saving some sort of state that if that thing went poof, caught on fire, got terminated, or something, you're actually losing some data, some state um, for the user. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that, to the okay. extent that let's say that you need to save state, uh, usually what you would do is you just make sure that those front ends uh, write it to a shared database. Now you've just pushed your state someplace else, but at least on that layer, you're stateless. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so, that's, so on that layer, you could ex- you could be, as you said, elastic. Right. Yeah, they could come and go, and it doesn't matter because there's nothing special about them. They're okay. interchangeable. Um, the settings are someplace else. You also mentioned AWS. Uh, I don't know how many people out there know that's uh, Amazon Web Service, which would be the cloud in in this context. And there's other services out there for it, but that's the big one that's run by Amazon. A lot of websites and game services. I, I don't know what percentage it would be, but but I know that a lot of them would be hosted by Amazon. Yeah, Amazon is is uh, you know the 800 pound gorilla in cloud. Um, Microsoft Azure, by the numbers, has a pretty good footprint, but they're way, way, way behind. I don't know what the percent is. I'm going to guess, you know, 20% or something of the cloud is is them. And then what's interesting is Google's got their Google um, Cloud platform, um, but they're they're way, way in, back in third place. Like, they're having trouble getting traction. I think eventually they'll get there. They've got some advantages over Amazon, but, you know, so many people – are in the Amazon space now, and it's 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 pretty sticky once you're there to to move around. So um. yeah, well, I mean, you're building up all of these systems and and configurations and and what have you, and I, I would imagine that moving this whole contraption would be really um, it's it's worse than that. I mean, let's just say that you've got you've done your last ten games in Amazon, and now you've got a greenfield, and you say, well, we could start it in Google. Like we don't have to, you know, forklift a bunch of stuff over, which yeah, that would be really hard. But uh-huh. uh, here's the thing, uh, you know, there's lots to know about the Amazon stuff. It's not like it's rocket science. It's not <laughs> like you're doing big O stuff or you're, <laughs> you know, figuring out how to write compilers or something. But um, it's it's a uh, it's a lot of stuff to master. Um, mm-hmm. You know how to how to operate uh, Amazon, how to speak uh, AWS. Um, how to really, you know, um, function in that environment. And and the Google Cloud stuff is the same way. They've got their own analogs for these things, and the principles apply. But, you know, after you've been in Amazon for years, you've got your little tools, your go-tos, your, you know, the things that you're used to. You know how things are going to behave, what they're going to look like. And there's enough changes in the Google Cloud that it's not trivial to just it, – it's like – you know, we're native English speakers, and then we, you know, decide, oh, I want to go live in the Netherlands and go work there. And now what? I have to actually, you know, use a different language. It's like, yeah, you could get there, but, man, it's really tough, you know, to start out, um, to, to try to switch gears like that. It, it, you're like, I could move a lot faster if I could do this in English. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a lot more effective. And, and so that becomes like AWS becomes your native tongue. And so switching over to another environment, um, you know, it's... It's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that that was mentioned, you said that, um, or at least implied, like an SQL backend was a problem. So, yeah. like SQL is, is um, I, I would imagine a lot of people know this, but not necessarily everybody. Uh, SQL being a a um, type of database, uh, information database. Yeah, it stands for Structured Query Language, and it's uh, kind of what ties all the what are called uh, relational databases, RDBMS, Relational Database Management System. They have they all have that in common. Uh, whatever, if you're talking about Oracle, Microsoft SQL Server, um, what else is out there? MySQL, uh, Postgres. They're all SQL databases, relational databases. Okay, and um, as opposed to NoSQL. Right, NoSQL. Um, is 
I mean, some, it, I, I believe MongoDB is an example of NoSQL. Correct. Okay. There's a few of them. Like, it's CouchDB. It's like this weird non-structured thing. At least I yeah. find it weird. Um, well, it's funny. I've been doing this for a long time, and I started off life, and I'm going to throw some, some real things that need to be uh, defined now. Uh, <laughs> in ISAM databases, index sequential access method, and this is Stone Age stuff, before there was uh, relational databases. I mean, that stuff started to emerge in the 70s. That was research in the okay, 70s. I'm, I'm just thinking about that name, and I'm just, like, <laughs> seizing up inside about what well, that implies. So here's the thing. I mean, this is like when you get right down to it. Like, you're just talking, like, B-tree indexes. I mean, just really basic stuff. Like, you have a you have a key, and then you have, like, a separate file, an index file. Um, and uh, DBase, I don't know if you remember DBase. Vaguely. Back in the day. You know, they had those little index files. Uh, same thing. These are B trees. Um, just basic computer science stuff. But before, you know, CJ Date came along and, and the whole, um, you know, relational database revolution happened and Oracle happened and all that. Um, this is how, you know, they worked. This is how, you know, people were doing, um, back then they called it, uh, IS, information systems. <laughs> but, uh, so here's the funny thing. Uh, when you look at NoSQL now, when I start looking at it, and you start like kind of going down to like if you if you read the white papers uh, on it, um, and you talk about what's underneath it, we have actually come full circle. Uh, what we've actually invented with NoSQL are distributed uh, ISAM databases. Um, these things are you don't get all of the relational algebra stuff where you can join tables against each other. Uh, and, and union tables and, you know, all these kind of, they, they basically, you know, this relational stuff was like a, a form of algebra. And it was all just abstractions. Underneath the hood, they're actually doing a lot of things that are actually still very similar to, you know, ISAM uh, accesses. But what's happened with, with NoSQL is that we've basically gone back to basics. Uh, it's in a, but it's in this huge distributed sense. And if you, if you consider what happens with, you know, you, like you have these these keys, and you have uh, they're called document stores, right? And so you have a blob of data, usually a JSON. It's a document, um, and it's unstructured. You can change the schema of that JSON. But the the main thing is when you have NoSQL, you've got a key, you know, an ID, uh, and then you've got some blob of data that it follows that follows that. And what they've done is there's a layer above where that's stored um, that does this kind of this indirection. It actually um, uh, does key hashing. And then it's got a little bit of extra logic where not only is it key hash, but it also keeps track of the replication. So that's the kind of the, the extra little bit of this. Then it, it doesn't just smear it across 10 machines and just, you know, kind of hash it across it. It smears it across 20 or 30 machines, depending on whether you set a replication factor of two or three or more. Um, and it keeps track of that. So you have this abstraction layer, but really all you're doing at that point is ISAM stuff with, you know, just kind of more abstraction built on top of it to, to make it, to fan it out for replication and to manage all that. So I feel kind of funny watching this whole new sequel thing. It's like, wow, I need some deja vu here from, you know, almost 30 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> uh, oh my. Um, it was definitely, it's also interesting to hear you talking about uh, 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 sort of butting heads between, say, um, uh, ops and, and prod or ops and, and developers because, you know, coming from QA, that's definitely where I come from, too. I mean, we practically, 
our whole purpose is to be an adversarial presence to development. I mean, if 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 you have QA trusting developers, then stuff gets missed and bad things happen. So it's it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting that there's there's kind of that parallel there. Um, in well, in it's, yeah. yeah. The thing I always thought was kind of sad was uh, you know the developers can can screw something up really bad. And it causes a big problem. They're like, wow, what was QA doing? You know, how come they didn't catch that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, that, well, I mean, that's that's the... Uh, oh, oh. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, we've talked here a lot about the difference between um, uh, the studio versus the developer. Because that's one thing that bugs the crap out of me, too, is, you know, how, how the studio will always get the credit and the... Uh, or the, the yeah, the developer will always get the credit, and the publisher. Sorry, I was using yeah. the wrong. The publisher always gets blamed. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. Thing. Well, I mean, that was one thing. Like when I when I you know raised the problem with our 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 game that did not go smoothly. Um, you know, as the publisher, it's like, well, you know, we're supposed to be you know the the older brother in this relationship. We're supposed to help guide the the, the little studio with the ragtag group of genius devs that just love gaming, love programming, and, and we're going to bring in, you know, make sure that it's marketed, you know, that we've got the table stakes, that we've got the stability, we're going to run the game for them. And so, you know, I said, this is this would look bad at, for us as a publisher to have a game that, that you know, stumbles out of the gate. And by the way, Dave, Ops is uh, responsible for stability. <laughs> oh, okay. So... <laughs> And, and then you and then you can have a developer who seems almost I don't know just inflicting self harm with their design or, or what have you with with uh, yeah with really like, strange listen to reason maybe or or yeah um, I, I think you know there's a certain amount of ego you know the parts that they know is they just want to stick to that like they you know I can touch this I can do this this other stuff is new to them. You know, and this it, it just takes a lot to kind of spin up with this. And, and people don't want to sign up to do things that they don't understand how to do. Like they can think in their mind a solution based on what they know. Um, and it can say, well, I can look at it and say, well, you know, that that doesn't follow a good pattern. That's not a web scale pattern. And they're like, well, and then they just say, I, I don't care. I don't know what you're talking about. Web scale pattern. We don't need that. I'm like, well, you do. And that's that's that basic tension is, you know, you're, you're talking people at that point. Um, and if, uh, you know, it comes down to to egos um, and, and just what, what people's abilities are, uh, their, their capabilities and their experience. Mm. Um, there's not, you know, some of it, there's not really it's a very dynamic system, I would say. It's it's not just like, oh, we didn't test for that certain thing. It's there's a lot more. It's It's much more dynamic. It goes, you know, the arc of this starts back, you know, early on where um, the product people are setting certain courses and making certain commitments and funding things at a certain level. So, oh, well, we think you're going to need three programmers for this game and a staff, you know, a support staff of this. And they structure it that way. Well, where do they get three programmers from? Maybe it's really four or five that they actually needed. And maybe instead of, you know, a, a nine month development you know, cycle there, they should have been, you know, going for a 15 month. I mean, so all of these things, these, these motions are, are, are these forces are set into motion early on. Um, and by the time you start to get an inkling that things aren't right, it's too late. They say, well, we've already committed. We have to see this thing through. 
And again and again, you see, you know, these train wrecks that happen. And um, it's it's very much in some of these ways, you know, it's it's the butterfly flaps its wings and, you know, Beijing and hurricanes happen later. <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know. Um, and it's like I was talking about the Challenger stuff. People have over and over again dissected these things because they, they've been happening for 20 plus years, these types of disasters, these, you know, IT disasters. I mean, some I've seen stats that say, and this isn't just gaming. This is like IT projects in general. Like some horrible number, like 75% of IT projects um, are are failures or are you know over three years of you know late kind of thing, and huh. basically borked um, mm. by whatever measure you want to give it, budget, time, you know, actual failing, um, and. You know, th- these are these are dynamic systems, and, and the problems go go way back. And people have looked at these things, and they said, you know, there you would have to kind of change how you approach uh, how you go about business with these things. And, and the, part of that is 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 the whole DevOps thing. That's what that's about. Is um, you have to you have to design for these things. Hmm. I th- it, it feels to me uh, from from the conversations I've had with people and what I see in. Uh, a lot of games media is that a lot of what we've hit on today uh, so far is really the the focus point, the nexus, you might say, of why you need to think of games as a service, the, the whole software as a service thing, and why it's not a packaged product anymore, why there is, you know, stuff for trying to continue service. Like, I mean, one of the things I've always considered is if you're going to expect to have expansions and stuff, then yeah, you're going to need to have some something in place to continue generating revenue off the project. Or why would you do stuff like that? I mean, you're not going to have a, a a game that goes out as a packaged product and it's going to hit its market saturation point, and then you're going to continue to do stuff that costs you money to update and service it. That mm-hmm. I mean, except for at a point of trying to maintain a good uh, uh, customer relation with uh, uh for your company it, it doesn't make a whole lot of business sense but when, yep. you, when you think about sort of the stuff we've talked about here about okay we have games that have servers and and have you know online components and stuff then then yeah you're going to need all of this other stuff all of these other considerations it's going to be a continuing service that the company is going to have to provide yeah and I, when absolutely. you start doing that then companies are going to start to look to okay when we're in this phase we should still be able to generate revenue to cover our costs. Yeah, absolutely. Games, you know, games should be looked at as as a, a service, software as a service, not as a as you know something that you package and and hand off. And and that is kind of what I was talking about with the the one studio that had a problem is they were they were used to thinking in terms of you do the thing once, it works in the small, you hand it off, uh, and that's that. Um, we definitely when we're doing internet games, it's it's a it's a service. And it's the whole end-to-end thing. It's not just the features. It's the whole experience. It's the um, performance and the availability. And it right. does cost money. It costs a lot of money. And, yeah. you know, on an ongoing basis, that's that whole feature thing is, like, you can't just write it and leave it. You still need to do, you know, the, the event stuff and the, the, you know, the expansions and however you want to describe that. But you're, you're adding things to the game to pe- keep people engaged. And that is change and change is the enemy of the operations engineer. <laughs> oh my so yeah that was um a lot of information from not too many questions or prompts from me uh uh so jeff um 
passing the baton to you. Were there any questions you had or anything that wasn't clear about this well, on your side? Well, two. two. One, <laughs> one is, uh, <laughs> one's a pure point of curiosity. The other is uh, just another aspect of the you know the st- stakeholders in launch, etc. Obviously, the devs and the publishers are the two key players. But I'm wondering how often do the platform holders, your Sonys, your Microsofts, your Steams, how often do they cause problems during the launch period? Uh, I don't hear nearly as much uh, criticism of, of them, but I know <laughs> I know well enough that they are they're not perfect, and I, I do have to wonder how often are, are they a, uh, a stick in the spokes, so to speak, in, in that process? Uh, well, in, in, in my case, I, you know, I work in mobile. Um, so not dealing with Steam, uh, not dealing with the PC, the console stuff. Uh, so on mobile, it would be like Apple and Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, their stuff is, you know, that's that's pretty static. We, you know, we upload um, the, the version, and there's there's not much to it. It's they've got it. It's very formulaic. Um, once it's pushed, it, um, it's, it's just a system. There's not a lot of new stuff. The, the format is set. So yeah, so, we're, yeah, they're we're, more like a vendor than than anything else as far as the the game companies are concerned. Yeah, yep. yeah. Every once in a while, I do I do hear a little bit of buck passing going on, on particularly on the console side, and I <laughs> I wonder how often that's true. You know, they obviously they need to maintain friendly relationship with one another, but uh, you well, know, I, th- I I think I think one of the uh, contributing elements to that is that on the console side, you know, Microsoft, Nintendo, Sony, they all do development themselves too. Yeah. So they can, they can, or come in as a publisher. I think that's what happened on, say, No Man's Sky. Mm. Uh, was that the case? Or you have Sony Online Entertainment and they start like working in the, some of the DevOps role, I, I believe, when, when you get that partnership in place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back to infamous incidents like the Air 37 Diablo 3 <laughs> launch. I can remember at the time there being a flurry of, uh, of speculation as to who was the ultimate party to blame for all this. Oh yeah, this. And, that, and, it, and that brings up another thing where it, you know the uh, uh, the consoles themselves are providing some of the uh, back end framework for yeah. your online connectivity uh, functionality. Yeah, yeah. The other uh, the other question is, and I, again, I, I don't know how relevant this might be to. Uh, to mobile, uh, and I only see it come up occasionally when I play something on PC. Is um, every once in a while I'll be playing a game that is, you know, an online game by any definition, and I'll be asked to uh, to answer what region I'm in, <laughs> and you know, it'll usually be something at the level of a continent. You know, are you in North America? Are you in Europe? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I'm wondering how how big does a game have to get uh, before that actually becomes something that has to be you know, uh, applied at the at the level of the individual. A lot of this stuff you're talking about, virtualized servers and all this cloud stuff, seems to me like it shouldn't matter where it is. But I do still see the occasional game that asks me where I am. <laughs> and I wonder, is that just a size thing, or is that just an- something that's antiquated that will be less and less relevant with online games in future? Well, the cloud doesn't care. Uh, the cloud is, you know, like, for instance, Amazon's cloud, they have um, these uh, regions, and I don't know, they have like 30 of them now. They're all over the place. Mm. Uh, what they're really trying to do there, when they ask you for your region, they should be able to detect it by your IP 
Um, yeah. But, um, and they can. They might sometimes, though, that stuff gets a little scrambled. Uh, what they're really trying to do is solve for latency. So if you're in Australia, maybe let's not stick this guy to, you know, U.S. East uh, one, which is in uh, Virginia. That's Amazon's main, you know, hub. They have them all like they have, mm. I think, around 30 of them. They're all over. They have them in you know Asia. They actually have them in um, I'm trying to remember the one in Asia Pacific is closest to Australia. There might actually be one. I think there's one in Sydney. Anyway, so um, for latency purposes, especially for gaming, they might go ahead and uh, establish you know beachheads fairly distributed. You know, one in Europe, one in North America, one in Asia, uh, and then try to stick you close to that if they can, just for latency purposes. Yeah. As someone who used to play in Australia, there was a time when I felt like no matter what I picked, the latency was still bad. (laughs) Well, here's the funny thing. They might put those front ends, you know, the front end game engine, but on the back end when it's making database calls, this is still the hard thing. You can do all this distributed stuff, stateless stuff with the front ends, but you're, you can't, you know, you can't make your data stateless. So that data lives someplace and guess where it probably lives? Uh, in U.S. East, in, in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. so on the back end calls, you're still paying that price. Um, they can, you know, it helps a, a little bit to, to, you know, hit the front end, you know, close to you. But yeah. Yeah. I guess sort of the last thing that occurred to me, and neither of you really use the word best practice, but I, I was sort of thinking of that in, in, in my head as you were talking about, you know, how to do it right. Is is there is there such a thing as a as a template where well we've this is what we've done in the past and this game is sort of similar to a game we've done before so this is the method we're going to use for the devops and we think it's the it might it might not be one size fits all but it's as close as we can get uh, is it, is there is there actually any uh, you know um, learning from past launches and a, a model of of uh, infrastructure that that tends to get you closer to the marker? Is it always just a, a dart-throwing exercise when, you're, when you <laughs> well, do this stuff? It is, uh, it is still the Wild West. Uh, like I say, one of, the, one of the nice things about being an ops is one day we'll be like the accounting profession. There will be things <laughs> dialed in. There will be a way to do things, and you'll actually be able to get a college degree in this stuff. So right now, there's a lot of you know, degree of freedom. Um, you know, people are still trying lots of different things. It's starting to come a little bit into focus. There are best practices I, I like the ones that are kind of uh, more on the principle level and less principles level, first principles level, as opposed to, you know, do it this way. I mean, there's plenty of this stuff out there. People, you know, they give talks. Like if you go to like the AWS conference, um, you know, you'll get various people who will stand up there and say, okay, here's what we did last year when we launched this game or we launched this product. And they'll walk you right through their design, you know, their implementation. And, you know, they're, they're, they'll just tell war stories. Um, and they'll, they'll say, oh, well, we had this idea, but then, you know, this horrible thing happened and we had to, you know, go this other direction. And that's what people, you know, peers really like to hear the, the, those stories. So they're like, we're thinking about doing that. We've been talking about this. We're a little hesitant to pull the trigger. We're not sure what's going to happen with it. Uh and that's fascinating to them. Like, okay, you did that thing we were thinking about, and it blew up in your face, and you ended up doing the other thing. And they're like, hmm, chin stroke. Um, and, and people, you know, they're learning, and they're, and they're kind of, you know, still uh, kind of processing all this. One thing I could I would point you at, you know, just sort of as something that um, we just want to talk about, like, best practice and just getting your blocking and tackling. Is just, this is a thing called the 12-factor app manifesto. Um, and those things, somebody tried to kind of – formalize uh, best practices, kind of goodnesses of, of a good system. 
and, and it's it sort of has microservices in mind. Um, a few things that people are finding, if you know, and this this might even get to something like when you talk about Sony's network or Microsoft's network. One of the problems that they still have is you know they're they're still by and large in in their own data centers, and they're still by and large trying to kind of do do things old style. They're they're slowly putting new things in. They're even within their own data centers, they're building out their own clouds uh, and getting some of those uh, effects. But in the end, you know, people need to be in the public cloud. Uh, private cloud is sort of almost an oxymoron. That means you don't really understand cloud. <laughs> because <laughs> just one more discursion here. <laughs> public cloud is, um, you know, that's like public utility. That's like saying, oh, I have my own private uh, electric utility. Well, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> you, you have your own generator. Oh, you have two generators. Oh, you have a diesel backup. Okay, so great. That's nice. But it's a lot better to have a, a shared utility that has a lot of um, uh, uh, has has a lot of capability um, and also uh, uh, has a lot of expertise. Someone else can just worry about that, and you can get on with whatever it is you wanted to use electricity for, or whatever you wanted to use, you know, CPU cycles for. I'm going to assume it's you know your your thing is that you don't want to be in the data center business. You want to make something of value um, that uses CPU cycles. So it's really nice if you have the kind of utility computing idea with public cloud is that you just dial it up. You say, oh, I want more CPU. I'll dial it up, and, uh, and it's metered. I get I get charged by the hour for how many I use. If I need more memory, I dial that up. And that's kind of what's going on with, uh, you know, with the whole cloud thing, and that's why public cloud is important. And while you're still seeing, you know, Sony, you know, has a lot of expertise. It's a big company, but, you know, they, they, have, a, they have a hard time moving to the new. They're still tied predominantly to data centers at this point. And this best practice stuff, you know, microservices and 12-factor app um, and utility computing, they're not necessarily – they have aspects of that. Some of their stuff is now in AWS, but most of it is still in, in, in uh, private colos. Hmm. All right. Uh, anything else from you, Jeff? No, that's about it. Okay. Well, speaking of war stories there, uh, <laughs> this is the part of the show where we like to – uh, ask our guests if they have any uh, interesting little anecdotes about their times in the industry. Uh, unless, Dave, this this whole thing was a big anecdote. Yeah, you're going to trigger me, man. <laughs> um, no, th- those are I, I've been mostly kind of uh, kind of uh, speaking to anecdotes and just experience in in the industry. Um, yeah, I don't have any like um, any specific. Uh, a story to, to share with a good right. beginning, middle, and end. They're all just sort of variations on a theme uh, yeah. with these no, things. That, that, I, th- I think that definitely applies. So, Oh, boy. And I think that is the episode where I have talked the least. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a good thing or bad thing, I'm sorry if I went on too much. <laughs> it, no, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I just that That's definitely a thing that happened. I mean, hell, if this were an episode of Hero Talk and, and I were the movie, that would be our metric for a very bad movie because we weren't... weren't... <laughs> When when Greg and I talk about movies and we we've realized that uh, the less we talk about the movie in that show, uh, the the less we like it. Uh, but that doesn't apply to guests here. So uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And and uh, thank you, Jeff, for coming along. You're welcome. Okay. 
So, if there's anybody out there who would like to see me write about anything in the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about anything in particular here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always reach out to me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. Or reach out to me on Twitter at kineticnos. It's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K-K-N-O-W-S. See you all next time, everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Enthusiacs.